This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. All righty, rocking and rolling. Hour number two of our radio program. It is the Zach Gelb Show, coast to coast on CBS Sports Radio. Busy uh, football Friday with the divisional round games getting set to kick off tomorrow. We got eight teams remaining, and we'll get to our final four once Sunday does conclude. Let's go out to the guest line right now. Welcome in longtime NFL defensive coordinator, had head coaching stints in Buffalo and also was the interim in Cleveland. And uh, Greg Williams is kind enough to join us once again on the show. Greg, always great to have you on. Appreciate the time. How you been? Been good, Zach. And thanks for inviting me on. You guys do a great job for the fans and it's important to do that. You know, I've talked to you before about that with my father-in-law, Mike Shannon, who passed away last May. You used to always poke me and say, make sure you're doing things for the fans. They love the game. I appreciate you saying that. And uh, thanks so much once again for jumping on board. Uh, I know you've probably have seen this before, but it just uh, did break that Antonio Pierce is finalizing a deal. He was the interim this past year for the Raiders to become the full-time head coach of the Silver and Black. I think you guys did have a crossover for one year in D.C. How do you react to Antonio Pierce appearing to get the Raiders job? I heard that right before uh, we got online, and you know I'm waiting for a confirmation, but for sure I hope that. And uh, I'm so proud of him. I'm very happy for him, and uh, it also shows uh, Mark Davis that uh, Mark, you're smart about doing that, not letting him get out the door. So I'm very, very happy for him, and and uh, couldn't be more proud of him. You know, it does seem like we're moving in a trend here in the NFL where they're trying to hire a bunch of offensive-minded guys to be head coaches now. I say that knowing D'Amico Ryan's a defensive-minded guy who's had some success in Houston, to say the least, in your number one. But to see another defensive guy uh, looking like he's getting a head coaching job, just what does that mean to you personally? Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And, you know, it's about managing the game. It's about managing all aspects of the game. And, you know, I was an offensive coordinator or quarterback a long time ago, you know, special teams coordinator, defensive coordinator, head coach. All that kind of stuff is that you've got to be able to do the game. And if you're good enough, whether you're an offense or a defensive coordinator, if you're a defensive coordinator, you want to hire good people to do that part of the job. And even if you're an offensive coordinator, and I've talked a little bit about the fact of do you have the ability to hire and manage a person so that you don't have to do the play calling? You're still on it. You know, when I was the head coach here at Cleveland Browns for the interim I was still involved with all that. I was involved in the game planning. I changed the playbook and did all, a lot of different things and eliminated a lot of the, the clutter and all that kind of stuff. But as a head coach, you've got to be able to manage the game and manage all aspects of the game, and uh, a good person can do that. 
And you had that experience, right, of being the interim like you were just talking about in Cleveland. Unfortunately, you didn't get the head coaching job. So to see Antonio rewarded with this, you know, that had to be tough for you because like, you put in the work, right? You started winning games in Cleveland where you guys didn't win that many games, obviously, before that. And to just see Mark, like you said, make the right move, like you could have gone elsewhere. But to learn from what he did a few years ago, not giving the job to Bisaccia, I think it really just shows that growth in, in the Raiders organization recently. I do. I do. I do believe that. It does show the growth with uh, the fact that, you know, he let Richie Bisaccia get out of there. I think it does. And, and I could have stayed here. But uh, the way that they wanted it structured behind the scenes, you know, with GM ownership and all that kind of stuff, you know, about meddling into things that uh, they didn't need to be a part of. You know, I basically said adios, and uh, th- those are the things that you have to be able to do it. And the younger guys that are just looking for an opportunity, they allow that meddling to go on. I'm at that point in time in my career, I love being the coordinator. I love uh, being the, a senior assistant, that, that kind of stuff. But if I'm going to be the head coach, I'm going to have final say, and that's just how it is. Talking to Greg Williams right now. I got to ask you about Baker Mayfield, right? You know Baker from your time together in Cleveland. He's had to bounce around since Cleveland didn't work out in Carolina, had a little bit of a run uh, with the Rams towards the end of the season, but to see what he's done stepping in place of uh, Tom Brady in Tampa Bay to be in the last eight team standing, pretty remarkable by Baker Mayfield. You know, you now hit another home run, you know, with Antonio Pierce first, and now here comes Baker with the question. He's one of my favorite all-time players. I've had an opportunity to coach, you know, when I took over. And the first thing that people need to understand about Baker, all really intuitive, high-level athletes, they can smell BS a long ways off, so a mile, 10 miles, 20 miles off. And Baker has great intuition. He's a very smart young man, and he quickly learned how much I knew and how we are going to go about doing things, and he bought in a 1,000%. I am so proud and happy of what he's doing right now. And, in fact, you know, Todd Bowles and I had a, a conversation before he signed him as a free agent. And I said, Todd, you definitely need to sign Baker. And if he doesn't perform well, that's your fault. He has a skill level, but you've got to make sure of how you're going about managing him, managing everybody else, and he did a great job. I thought Todd did a great job on who he ended up hiring, the young offensive coordinator, who's done a great job with Baker, too. I'm so happy, so proud for him, and uh, look forward again for another shootout this weekend. I've always liked Baker Mayfield. Um, some people don't find him easy to root for. Right? He gets a bad reputation. Why do you think that is? Because I never really understood that one. You know, because Baker doesn't put up with BS. Baker is going to be directly honest. And Baker, take a look at his teammates. Do you see how supportive his teammates are? Here's one thing if you're watching the game. Anytime you're watching the game or practices, do you see those offensive linemen do everything in the world to protect him? When Baker goes down, who's the first person to the pile to go over and make sure they help him up? Who is that? And it's going to be the offensive linemen. It's going to be the receivers. He has a synergy with everybody else. He is a teammate. He's not a person that's out there flaunting himself and doing things. And I see as he has grown, he's done a better job managing his expressions or managing his words in press conferences too. He's a really good young man, I'm telling you. And that's why his teammates support him. 
Yeah, and I think it it brings up a great point that you just made, Greg Williams, because, right, that team went from being an average team to a great team with Tom Brady. And then you lose Brady, and you know how much Brady was looked at in that locker room, right? And people, right, it's the GOAT, it's the greatest quarterback of all time. That's not an easy spot for Baker to walk into, and it speaks to the type of leader that he really is that right away from early on in the summer, those guys were praising the work that Baker Mayfield was putting in. No doubt about it. That's a great analogy. And even, you know, at a lesser level, the the great analogy of when Flacco came into the Browns. And all of a sudden you saw the support from his teammates because they can smell it. They could tell right then this guy can help us. And wish he hadn't thrown those picks, okay, that that he threw, you know, in the game that ended up costing him. But people inside the white lines can smell Okay, and can sense whether you're a warrior that they want to go to war with. And uh, Baker's done a great job with that, and I'm proud of him. Greg Williams here with us. Since we were talking about the Browns, you just brought up the Flacco point. Do you believe, because it's now been a while, um, off the field problems clearly, then also getting injured as well, the suspension and all that, do you believe Deshaun Watson can be a really good quarterback once again in the NFL? I think uh, it's going to take a lot of work. But uh, Jimmy Haslam signed 230 million reasons why the, they have to keep working with him. You know, when you guarantee a contract, I know the other owners weren't very happy about all that. And uh, you saw the, the price of all quarterbacks get driven drastically up in the air over that contract. But uh, they have a lot invested in him. I do believe Deshaun is a very hard worker, but he's going to have to be able to sell, uh, stay healthy. He's going to have to be able to uh, adapt. And, again, here this past week, you know, I was shocked that they let the offensive coordinator go, uh, the running back coach go, uh, the tight end coach go. So you see there's some type of a morphing going to be going on with who they bring in to take those positions. And I would not be shocked if it's somebody that has coached a style of offense that Deshaun has mastered and done well in. And uh, they're eliminating excuses now to make sure it's time for you, Deshaun, to step up and perform. You're not having to fit into somebody else's blanket system. Okay, They're going to morph into them. That's just my idea. I don't know for a fact. I do believe that Andrew Berry, the GM there I'm close with, I think he's done a very good job of managing the roster and doing a good thing there too. So they need to get healthy, but I think you'll see – more of an offensive identity that is more uh, complementary to what Deshaun does. Talking to Greg Williams right now. So Jordan Love was sensational last week. C.J. Stroud as well. Uh, Both in their first playoff starts, they get victories. And now the Packers play the 49ers, tough defense. We know the Texans play the Ravens, tough defense. If you were going up against those young quarterbacks, what would you try to do, though, to throw a Jordan Love or a C.J. Stroud off their game who are both rolling right now? Well, I think the Packers did a good job, and I think not enough credit's gone to Matt LaFleur on uh, what they did game plan-wise. And I, don't, and, I, and I have a lot of respect for Dan Quinn, too. But Dan uh, didn't do a lot of package mashing, I don't think, very well in this last game because, as you saw, the Packers do quite a bit of two- and three-tight-end type stuff. They were playing more of sub-packages, the Cowboys were, with uh, five, six, and seven DBs in the ballgame, and really six DBs for an awful lot of it. And they were just getting the ball, you know, run right up parts of their body. And, uh, and you, you can't do that. you got to match personnel. 
You've got to make them, okay, check to the pass game and all that kind of stuff up. And uh, they were able to run the football and do a good job with that. And I think both Jordan and CJ have done a great job of managing the game, limiting turnovers or what I call giveaways, okay, and make the field position be as long as possible for the opponent. And you can't have giveaways in playoff games because and where points get put up on the board also with a, a pick six, okay, and those type of things, it's hard to overcome because the talent disparity in playoff games has shrunk drastically over some divisional games that you're playing in your division. So I think they did a really good job with that. And here's what I would say. I would say that the number one thing, especially CJ, because Jordan's seen a little bit more in his tenure in the league, you have to change the pre-snap look that he's taking a look at and change into post-snap looks. And I think that's one of the things that uh, Steve Spagnuolo is doing a better job than a lot of people. And I go to he and I are both the older coaches in the league, and, <laughs> and Belichick understands that too. But you can't let the quarterback understand what you're in before the ball snapped. you got to make sure he's got to figure out when the ball snapped so now one of the big guys can get there on a hesitation, and you've made the quarterback hold the ball longer, and now the big guys can put some thumping on the quarterback. And so we'll have to see that, and that's a number one thing on my notepad this weekend to try to see what you know Aaron Glenn does and uh, what they do to try to change those looks. They at uh, you know, and Steve Wilkes is going to do at it at Forty ers to change the looks to make those guys make post snap decisions. Talking to Greg Williams right now, Coach. When I hear you, you speak, we still hear the energy that you have about the game and just knowing you. You know, I, I think one city that maybe you should make a stop in is uh, Philadelphia to potentially be uh, their defensive coordinator. Would that still interest you, being a DC uh, in the NFL again? Oh yeah, yeah, and I'm going to do that. I've had opportunities. You know, for 42 years, I never had a chance to be around my family. So my contract was extended, you know, and I had time on my contract. And I spent some time around my family, which is outstanding. And then, you know, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, you know, I have a lot of respect for and love to death. I, I helped him and have been helping him get the XFL. Now the UFL started. So I did the D coordinator job at uh, D.C. Defenders, the Washington, D.C. Defenders. But, yeah, and I'm, there's quite a few people, a lot of people, you know, reaching out to me right now. And uh, with the right people, the right situation, yes, I am going to get back in it. And I think because of the time I've been around my family, they want me out of the house too. <laughs> How would you try to fix the, the Eagles' defense right now? Because it was shocking. They were 10-1, and one, uh, right? That team looked like they were going to be going back to the Super Bowl, and the entire team just collapsed down the stretch. Here's what I would say. I would say that defensively, be it both of them, Sensei and Matt, you know, those, and Matt's a, a good friend of mine too, but I saw them – have a defensive structure on what they know, not what players could play. Each and every stop that I've been at, I've had to change the structure of what we're doing defensively to fit the players that are playing. And if you don't think that all of a sudden your number one corner goes down during the game, your number one defensive end goes down in the game, somebody gets hurt in the game and the next man up, that you have to change? You've got to change to protect those guys within a game whether, along, whether it's a game plan or whatever. 
there has to be more of an understanding of where they're at in the secondary. And people want to be ripping everything going on there in the secondary, but those guys can play certain aspects of coverage. And how are we identifying that these are the types that they're going to do? And then how also do you help them by, again, when I say, you're not going to know what we're doing pre-snap. You're not going to know, oh, yep, that guy, that's the guy I want to pick on anyway. You don't know all of a sudden maybe he's getting double help. Maybe he's getting rolled over the top. Maybe somebody else is coming. And those are the things I've been able to do now that I've coached 2,500 NFL players and over a thousand of them call me on Father's Days every year, so I must not be as big a prick as everybody says I am. <laughs> Absolutely love that. It's also the the, the tackling in Philly. I've never oh, seen. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah go hey, ahead. Hey, it was you terrible. Better not have a sound. You know, I'm, I'm in my, at my son's house up in the Cleveland area, and he's got a beautiful theater room. And they got to take the grandkids and everything out of the house because they hear hear me in the basement screaming and yelling at poor tackling and drop passes. Nothing more pisses me off than when I see a poor tackling individual or a person who can't catch the ball. And I tell the guys all the time in a funny way, but I say what I mean, I mean what I say, it's now time for you to go up and sell beer in the stands because you can't play. (laughs) That's absolutely awesome. Greg Williams here with us a few more uh, with the former head coach and also uh, soon-to-be defensive coordinator again. You know, everyone this week and what we do, it's been the Eagles, it's been the Cowboys, and, and why they've lost. Looking at the Cowboys' offense, I know their defense struggled immensely, but Dak has been such a, a lightning rod uh, as a quarterback. You were, let's say you're game planning up against Dak. Well, what do you see out of him that would maybe keep you up late at night, or is it just, hey, he's a good regular season player, but come postseason time, he just can't get the job done? No, I think he's an outstanding player, and I think – I think uh, Mike has done a tremendous job on how he's adapted to things that he knows. He's not doing the same things he was doing with Aaron Rodgers. He's not doing the same things he was doing with Brett Favre. He's not doing all those things. He's adapted to what, within their verbiage, within their style of play, to what Dak can, Dak can do. And I thought he had a hell of a re- regular season. Now, I will tell you, you know, the Packers' defense hasn't been very good. But I will tell you that Joe – did a really good job on changing and tricking a couple of pre-snap looks that caused Dak into throwing picks. And he hasn't been doing that. And those are the things, too, that you have to do. You know, you've got to change that look. Dak is a great processor of information. You know, and I've known him since, you know, they first drafted him. You know, and, and gone against them in practice and all that kind of stuff. And we used to practice together at some of the teams that I've been on. He's a really good quarterback. And the next step will be, okay, taking him to that next level. But it was unfortunate on the giveaways. And it was unfortunate, okay, on some of the matchups that happened defensively. And, again, it was just a couple of head-scratching things that I saw, you know, on some coverage busts there, too, uh, on defense. He's Greg Williams. Greg, always appreciate the time. Uh, best of luck and, uh, with the future and uh, good health to everyone in the family. Thanks for doing this. Well, thank you, Zach, and I appreciate that. And I really do believe that you do a great job with the fans. I'm going to do this podcast with Hater FFL in Washington, D.C. tonight. And if anybody wants to have a good time, you can get online, YouTube, online, uh, Valley Sports, and watch Come Get Some 
which is the uh, podcast and TV show that I'm doing with my son. And uh, sometimes I have to, you know, he has to put a hand on me to censor me him a couple of times. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Coach, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Be well. You too. Be safe. There he is. Greg Williams joining us on the Zach Gelb Show on CBS Sports Radio. We'll come on back after these short messages. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. All right, it is the Zach Gelb Show on CBS Sports Radio. Appreciate Greg Williams joining us a few moments ago. You can stream the NFL and Westwood One for free, sponsored by AutoZone all season long. You can listen to every Westwood One broadcast of the NFL Live on the NFL app by asking Alexa to open Westwood One Sports on the Odyssey app. Get in the zone, AutoZone. AutoZone's free battery testing and charging is available for free at your local AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Restrictions apply. It's now like north of 25 Alabama players that have hit the transfer portal. And some big names, too, since uh, Nick Saban announced his surprising retirement. Like, we knew that Nick Saban was towards the end of his career. But I thought he was, like, teeing off on 16 or walking up the 16th fairway. I didn't think he was walking off the 18th green and was about to go to the clubhouse after that Rose Bowl loss up against Michigan. But Julian Sayan, who was the uh, early enrollee uh, for the uh, class of 2024, five-star quarterback, he is uh, already hitting the transfer portal. And uh, there's a mass exodus of Alabama players since Nick Saban has walked away. I think we got to be careful how we talk about this. Because I think a lot of people right away will say, oh, this means Kalen DeBoer is going to be a disaster. This means Kalen DeBoer isn't a good recruiter, blah, blah, blah. I think you got to understand the business side of it. Because everyone looks at Alabama, right, as it's big, bad Alabama. They have all the resources. And I'm not saying cry poverty for Alabama. But Dan Wolken, who's all over this stuff when it comes to college football, he did point out, and he pointed this out last week. This is a tweet from him. One thing I've learned is that um, Alabama's NIL program is not set up to be a great operation for the next coach. It was set up to rely on Saban as the draw. Without him, it's going to take some work to get the money flowing the right way as uh, some of Bama's competitors. So that was pretty much the gist of the Dan Wolken tweet. Now, I do think it was interesting where was two years ago? Yeah, it was two years ago where you almost had Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban, the old coach at A&M, Jimbo Fisher, now the old coach at Alabama, and Nick Saban almost throw down over NILs and collectives because Nick Saban was at a small business conference, Alabama small business conference, and he was basically imploring by taking shots at A&M and saying, oh, we know how they get all their money. He was basically indirectly saying, we need you guys to come to the table and support Alabama athletics. So I do think Kalen DeBoer could have a lot of success at Alabama. He's not, like, here's the hot take. He's not going to win six national championships. But this guy 
has had fewer talented names in his previous roads. And everywhere he's gone, now I get it, it's an uptick in competition uh, when you go to the SEC, but everywhere he's gone from Sioux Falls to Fresno State to then Washington this past year, getting to a national championship game, this guy's been a winner. This guy's had a winning culture. Now, it isn't easy replacing Nick Saban at Alabama, but it is interesting to me just to hear the way that people are talking about Kalen DeBoer right now, and because you have north of 25-something players hitting the transfer portal and their big names, it's almost as if everyone's already saying, up, DeBoer is doomed to fail from the start, which I would vehemently, and I mean a thousand percent vehemently disagree. And you know what? I actually like now that Alabama's getting questioned. And I like that, oh, it's big, bad Alabama. And now they're without their leader and Nick Saban. And oh, no one could walk into that job and have success. Well, like, how are you defining success? The Boers eventually going to have to win a national championship at Alabama for this to be viewed as successful. But in the immediate world, he just has to make the playoff next year. You know, I really do believe, and hey, when you're in the penthouse and then you're not delivering the penthouse service as you've been used to for the last 10 to 15 years, maybe I am misportraying and miscalculating the fan base. But if you are a logical fan, which can be a little hypocritical, can be a a bit of an oxymoron. I would think that first year off of Saban, even when Saban last year did not have a great team and was able to get him into a top four spot. And now how many people are leaving? When you move the playoff to 12, you just got to be in the playoff. And if you just get in the playoff this year and get in the 12-team playoff, I don't think people are going to be calling for your job. And everyone calls for people's jobs now. But I'm talking about the administration isn't going to be thinking, oh, maybe we made the wrong hire. And I think the majority of the fan base will say, okay, I could live with those results in year one. But I really hope that Kalen DeBoer makes people eat their words. Because it's crazy. You're not even giving this guy a chance. He's been on the job for a week. And up, you got something people, 25-something people already in the transfer portal. Five stars, four stars. Oh, the world is falling. Uh, It's coming to an end. Alabama's going to be fine. It's not going to be as great as what it was the last 10 to 15 years. You can't expect that. Saban is one of one. But can DeBoer one day win a championship at Alabama? I don't see why not. He just took Washington to a national championship game. And not only that, he beat Texas a team that Alabama, with the great Nick Saban, no disrespect to him, where Alabama couldn't beat Texas this year, and Alabama had them in their building. They lost to them by 10 points. So ultimately, you got to hit on the recruits. We know that he could hit in the transfer portal, but I don't believe that all these players jumping into the transfer portal right now is a sign that DeBoer was this bad coach or can't connect with his players. I think anywhere you go, and you've been seeing that, A new coach comes in, you have players hit the transfer portal because now they could go get more NIL money. And when it's only Alabama right now, really with their players, like it kind of feels like in the transfer portal, right? Where the window opens, I think it's a 30 day window once you bring in a new coach, where everyone now is going to be plucking at the Alabama players because of how great they are with the recruiting rankings and all of that. 
And these other schools are going to try to fine-tune their rosters with these players. So I, I would I would really, really, really advise that Alabama fans, and I know they may not want to hear this, I know right now it seems ugly, but you got to take a chill pill. And you, you got to have some patience here. You have to have some patience. And this time next year, if Alabama didn't make a 12-team playoff, you will have every, every right to criticize the hire. But after one week on the job, you can't be sitting there and saying that right now, oh, the sky is falling, the world is ending. I know that you're still uh, upset and in mourning after Nick Saban has walked away, but you got to trust that Bama will find a way to get it right. And I know people are going to call in, oh, it's Paul Bear Bryant, it's Nick Saban, and then, you know, you had a big stretch uh, in between of just, you know, not great football. You know, I know you had some other coaches win, things like that, but it's just like you got to be a little bit realistic. Yeah, you can't think that DeBoer is going to be Saban, but DeBoer not being Saban doesn't mean that he still can't be successful. Now, to Ohio State, Ryan Day is bringing in Bill O'Brien. I will also push back on some of the criticism of this too. Like, people look at Bill O'Brien now like he's a big, fat joke. I don't think that's the case. Bill O'Brien did not have a good year this year in New England. I don't think any offensive coordinator would have had a good year this year in New England with the lack of talent that they had. You need talent to have success. You know, you could only be a good coach, and that can only take you so far. You don't have the horses. You ain't going to find a way to uh, to have any big-time success. But O'Brien did a really good job in tough circumstances at Penn State, and I know the end of his tenure was really ugly in Houston, but they were in the playoffs four or five times. So it wasn't a complete disaster. There were some really good memories before you had bad memories, And now you're getting a former uh, college head coach. You're getting a former NFL head coach and a coordinator to call your plays in Ohio State. Um, I I think that is a good move by the Buckeyes. But when we talk about success for Alabama next year, just making the college football playoff, for Ohio State, you got to beat Michigan this year. You have to. You, You don't beat Michigan this year. Ryan Day deserves to get fired, even though he only has seven or eight losses attached to his name. But Michigan, in all likelihood is not going to have Jim Harbaugh. I think Jim Harbaugh is going to be a NFL head coach. We know Gerard Mayo is now the coach of the Patriots. You know Antonio Pierce got hired uh, today by the Raiders, so they're finalizing that deal. You know, a lot of people think Harbaugh will wind up with the Chargers, but you got to find a way, especially if Harbaugh leaves, to beat Michigan, especially when Michigan won't have McCarthy next year. That You know, he's off to the NFL. They don't have Blake Corum. You know, Chris Jenkins now going off the NFL as well. This is going to be a totally different roster. And even though Ohio State lost their best offensive weapon to Marvin Harrison Jr., it doesn't matter what these rosters look like. This I don't care what else Ohio State does the rest of the season. It is an absolute failure. And I say this to someone that is a fan of Michigan. It's an absolute failure for Ryan Day next year, bare minimum, if he doesn't beat Ohio State. And if he doesn't beat, I mean, if he doesn't beat Michigan. And if he doesn't beat Michigan next year, you think the calls the last two years have been loud for him to get out of a job. Michigan doesn't have Harbaugh and you still can't beat him. Man, and I know they didn't have him this year on game day, but they had him throughout the week. But you lose another four straight years to uh, to um, uh, Michigan, I don't see you could justify keeping Ryan Day as the head coach. So they're going to try to fix this offense with Billy O'Brien, and you do have uh, Howard uh, transferring in as the quarterback as well. All right, it is Zach Gelb show on CBS Sports Radio. We'll come on back. We got some questions. We got some answers. We'll do onside offside when we return. Update time first, though. Here's the act man, Rich Ackerman.
Zach's taking on the most polarizing issues in sports. Which side of the line of scrimmage will he end up on? Offside. Defense number 69. It's Onsides, Offsides with Zach Gelb on CBS Sports Radio. All righty, Onside, Offside time on CBS Sports Radio. Moist Mike, what do you got cooking up today? Now the Ravens prepare to host the Texans this weekend. John Harbaugh says... That Mark Andrews' status for the game is, quote, still up in the air. Though reports do say that's unlikely that he'll be activated for the game this weekend. And more likely that if they move on, he'll be ready for the AFC title game. However, Andrews has missed the past six games after suffering what many thought was a season-ending ankle injury. Onside, offside. If Mark Andrews is healthy enough to play... It would make a major difference in this game. I'm going to say offside on this one, and I don't expect him to play. I know you preface it saying uh, if he is healthy enough to play, it would make a major uh, difference in the game. I don't know what to really expect when there's that much rust to knock off. But more importantly, Lamar Jackson has found a lot of good chemistry with uh, Isaiah Likely. That's been a nice little target for him as of late, ever since the Mark Andrews injury, and they've been able to make a connection. So this is not poo-pooing on the uh, Texans. The Texans have had a phenomenal season. They've done more and then some than what anyone could have imagined out of them. But to beat the Texans, I don't think it's a necessity to have Mark Andrews on the field. So when you say if Mark Andrews is healthy enough to play, which we don't expect him to be, it would make a major difference in this game. I would say offside. Offside! As we mentioned yesterday, Cliff Kingsbury is interviewing for the Bears' vacant offensive coordinator position, and many think it means Chicago is targeting Caleb Williams with the top pick. Onside, offside, Kingsbury would be a good fit with the Bears, even if they do stick with Justin Fields at quarterback. It's a good question. I'm going to say onsides, and the reason why I'm going to say onsides is I think you could do a whole lot worse than Cliff Kingsbury for an OC, regardless of who the quarterback is, he's clearly, as a head coach, has his flaws. His team start off really good, and then down the stretch, they just just break down right in front of your eyes. But you got to remember, Matt Eberflus is being retained as the coach. But I don't think there's an extension being given to Matt Eberflus. So it does shorten the list of guys that you could actually realistically get. Like, if you're a hot offensive coordinating name, most of the times you do not wind up with a coach that is on the hot seat. And Eberflus exceeded expectations this year, found a way to maintain his job for another season, but I don't believe that it's a lock that Matt Eberflus is going to be the coach of the Bears next year. It also kind of feels like with the Bears... They'll trade Justin Fields. They'll get Caleb Williams. They'll underachieve next year. And then they'll probably, this time next year, be hiring a new head coach and another offensive coordinator. And then it will be the second head coach and offensive coordinator that that um, uh, Caleb Williams would have. So I do think Kingsbury is a good fit for the Bears because of the circumstance that they're in. Regardless of that means if uh, Caleb Williams is going to be the quarterback or not. So I'll go on sides of that one. I I would like this hire. I think it's fine where their head coach is at right now. Now the Bills got some bad news as Gabe Davis will miss another game and safety Taylor Rapp was also ruled out for the game this weekend against my Chiefs. Let's go Chiefs! 
Second year wideout, Khalil Shakir. Let me tell you, I wish we had a camera on, Stu. When you say, my Chiefs, and Stu kind of just gives you this dirty look, and it's not just because he's a Raiders fan. It's because yeah, it Stu is. has been, no, it's because Stu has been beaten down and tortured by his Raiders team, and he has been a good fan, and he's not done that slimy move that Slimy Santa has done where all of a sudden he's just going to jump off the Jets' bandwagon and the Jets' uh, uh, plane and go to another team, and Stu gets so annoyed that now you get to adopt a winner when he's just being a true, loyal human being. Stu likes the Raid like the Raiders, the Lakers, the Irish, and the Yankees. Stu has nowhere to go talking to me about picking winners. All Raiders? Right? Raiders are the biggest loser in the NFL of my lifetime. Whatever. And Notre Dame has not won a national championship, but you know, <laughs> since I've been born. Stu the hasn't had a good I'll Notre Dame moment since the uh the, the, the tush push. The other two I'll definitely give you. <laughs> the, or the, uh, the the Bush push. Yeah, the original tush push, that was the Bush Listen, push. Listen, at least my teams are mostly New York-based. Rangers, Jets, Yankees, right? So at least I have a New York-based love because that's where I was born. Yeah, yeah, but, like, you you abandoning – I don't – like, you can't do other sports here. When it comes to football, you abandoned a bad franchise and latched on to the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, I deserved it. No, but I'm saying like all Jet fans deserve to have a fun year. But that's why I get why Stu hates your guts. You pick one team. You know what? If I pick the Cincinnati Bengals, if I pick the Bengals, or if I pick the Ravens, he wouldn't care. He's pissed because I picked the Chiefs and the Raiders are our doormats, and they're embarrassed by us every year, and they're jealous of us. That's why Stewart is pissed. He doesn't care that I left the Jets. He cares because I picked the Chiefs, and he hates me for that. Dude, do me a favor here. He just said that the Chiefs treat the Raiders as a doormat. Wasn't there a game on, on Christmas, I think, where the Chiefs played the Raiders? Yes. Who, who won that game? Refresh my memory. Uh, that'd be the Raiders that won that game. Hmm. Oh. Hmm. You want to hmm. point to some random nonsense regular season game that doesn't matter? We still won the division. We're still in the playoffs. We're still the defending champions. Fine. You won a regular season no, game. No. whoop de doo You're not the defending champion. You weren't a Chiefs fan <laughs> last year. <laughs> I am now, so I get to call you're, it. You're basically like a chief virgin. You haven't had any of the success yet. <laughs> I was rooting for the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, so you're I guess I kind of won that. You're a virgin. Uh, That's what you are. All right, I mean, my Yankees have a few, so I used to have a couple don't, of those. The, the Rangers the got me sports. one in 94, so I got that too. Don't go to the other sports. We're just talking football. Yeah. We're just talking football. You right, know continue. what? I, I may or may not have been alive in 1968, so I may or may not have seen that championship. Gotcha. Anyway. Uh, so Probably where, don't even know if Bobby Bell okay, is. Let's get back to uh, Khal- uh, Khalil Shakir will take over the role as Josh Allen's number two, amassing just 100 fewer yards during the regular season than Gabe Davis. So onside, offside, Gabe Davis missing the game will be a huge factor for Buffalo against my Chiefs. It is a factor, but I'm not saying it's a huge factor because they weren't uh, with him last week. I will go offside. This is coming down to Josh Allen just being a, a force to be reckoned with and running through anything in front of him to go get this spot in the AFC title game. So it is a loss, but I'm not going to say it's a huge loss because they've been pretty much preparing all week that they wouldn't have Gabe Davis. So I will go offside. Offside. Now, while Kyle Shanahan has been to three NFC title go games in the Super Bills Bowl. by a billion this weekend. His please. friend and opponent this weekend, Matt LaFleur, has been to two conference title games and has the Packers rolling. So onside, offside, despite 
Kyle Shanahan's uh, incredible history so far, you have more faith in Matt LaFleur this weekend than you do in Kyle Shanahan. No, I, I, I'm going to go offside here because the 49ers have the better team. Um, if- not, not with the team. Just which coach do you think will go into it and, and do a better job and outcoach the other. I'm not talking about what the team does on the field. Which coach do you have, a, well, that, have that more plays faith a factor, in doing though. things correctly? It plays a factor. Like, Kyle Shanahan has coached the crap out of his team for the last few years. I don't see how he's going to coach at this horrible level where the Packers end up winning the game. I just don't see it. So, uh, yeah, I'll have more faith in Kyle Shanahan over Matt LaFleur. And that's not taking anything away from Matt LaFleur. He's done a sensational job down the stretch with Jordan Love. But I can't sit here and say I have more faith in Matt LaFleur this weekend than Kyle Shanahan. And I'm not even the biggest Shanahan fan in the world. I've been critical of him at times through the last few years. But I'll take Shanahan over LaFleur. So offside. Offside. Now, during the week, former Washington coach Jay Gruden got into a little bit of a kerfuffle or beef with former QB Robert Griffin III, culminating in Gruden saying, quote, you weren't good enough. Kirk was better, meaning Kirk Cousins. Mm-hmm. Cleveland didn't want you. Baltimore didn't either. Quit blaming me. Now, we all know about RG3 and his knee injury, how Mike Shanahan put him in the game we probably shouldn't have, tore his ACL, and it kind of derailed his career. Yeah. So, with that being said, onside, offside, RG3's career was derailed more by irresponsible coaching rather than his own abilities or lack thereof. So, I know Jay Gruden, and I know Robert Griffin III. Um, when you say that RG3's career was derailed more by irresponsible coaching rather than his own abilities, well, this is this is saying that it was Gruden's fault. Is that is that what this question is saying? Uh, not just Gruden, Shanahan too. Because here's the thing: it's tough for me to pick a side here because I don't think Gruden messed up RG3. It was Shanahan because he put him back on the field, and then I think Kirk Cousins was better than RG3. And Kirk Cousins outplayed RG3. But RG3 was at such a high level before the injury occurred uh, from Mike Shanahan. So I guess if I had to pick one or the other, I would say it was more irresponsible coaching. But that's not me taking a shot at Jay Gruden. It was the injury management of the, uh, of at the time, the Washington Redskins. So RG3's career was derailed more by irresponsible coaching rather than his own abilities. It's kind of a mixture of both, but I'll go on sides, but not the coach that he's feuding with right now. The transfer portal is basically out of hand, and it's going to get even worse, potentially. 11 states, and now the DOJ, the federal government, is suing the NCAA to allow players to transfer as often as they'd like without having to sit out a year. Right now, the current rule is you can transfer once without sitting out. Mm-hmm. Any subsequent transfer, you have to sit out a year. Onside, offside, players should be allowed to transfer as often as they want without having to sit out. So, I think it could set up the player to fail because it's why are you then transferring. But I have always been pro. When you are in college and you don't like a college that you're in, I'm okay with you making a big boy decision and leaving. And you have to live with the consequences, both positive and negative, that do occur from that. So, I would say on sides, players should be allowed to transfer as often as they want without having to sit out. Now, do you think that it's good or bad for college football that we've basically had this like free agent frenzy in the transfer portal. We're seeing coaches getting driven away. Uh, forget about the NIL. I'm just talking about yeah. transfer portal. Do you think it's good or bad that while it's great for the kids, do you think it's great for the sport? It's not great for the sport, but I'm not going to complain about it because coaches leave jobs all the time and they go take new contracts and they make promises and they don't follow through on their promises. It's business. It's part of life. College football is a business. And for years... 
illegally, that was the only way college kids could get a chunk of the pie when everyone else was feasting. So I'm not going to fault college kids now for utilizing their rights in Transfer Portal and also benefiting off their name, image, and likeness. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 